Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. We are journeying through the book of Ephesians. And I want to invite you, if this might be your first time tuning in with us, to make sure you try and connect to one of our community groups in church, because that's actually where we dive into even more detail regarding this letter that Paul wrote. But we also designed a small devotional booklet uh, in a PDF form, which you can download from our website, which will also be so helpful for you as we journey through this book. Now, Ephesians is different from all the other letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. You see, he planted many, many churches. He led an incredible life of ministry. And sometimes Paul would kind of get feedback from some of the churches that he was involved in or planted himself or in some way ministered to. And he would sometimes hear that there's a problem. He would sometimes hear that there's a strange form of thinking or a false doctrine going around. And then he would write a letter to that church to address a specific problem. But Ephesians is different. Ephesians was not written to address a specific problem in a local church. In fact, Ephesians is classified as one of the most brilliant pieces of ancient writing we have available today. Why is that? Because the book of Ephesians is Paul's grand explanation of the mystery of God's plan to unite everything in creation in his son Jesus through the gift of salvation. But, but Ephesians also asks a very important question. Ephesians asks the question, now what? <laughs> What now for someone who has accepted this wonderful free gift of salvation? What then happens to their life? What now for the believer who has marveled and realized and discovered this incredible mystery? What happens then? And today we pick it up from verse 14 where Paul writes, he says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. Now you might be wondering, why is he falling to his knees? What is making him fall down in such awe and reverence and just start praying? What would make Paul just interrupt himself mid-chapter as he's writing to suddenly write down a prayer? And when you think of that, that's sometimes where it's so helpful to actually just go back a few steps and read what was written before Paul started writing this prayer. So from wherever you are joining us, read with me from verse six. It says the following. This is God's plan. The mystery we've been speaking about, this is where we get it. It says this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are a part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading the good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. He goes on to write, I was chosen to explain this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. 
God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then the like the most wonderful one-liner, it says, because of Christ and because of our faith in him, get this, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. What a radical and wonderful statement. You see, Paul writes all of that and then he literally interrupts himself as he's busy writing because he wants to write down a prayer. He falls to his knees and then he writes this prayer that we read about from verse 14. But you know, these, these revelations he speaks about in the opening verses of this chapter, that's what leads him to the prayer. So he, he reveals these incredible thoughts. And the first one is he reminds the Ephesians of how amazing life can be because of Jesus. Now, no one, get this, no one is excluded anymore from God's presence. You see, before Jesus, only the Jews had access and blessing in terms of God's presence. And now he writes in verse six, both Jews and Gentiles have what? Equal access to God, equal access to the rich inheritance available for those who belong to Jesus, equal access to the hope of a future as part of God's people. Now, this is good news for you and me even today. Why? Because this, this is true for us even today, because it means no matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, no matter what family you've been born into, and get this, no matter what side of town you were even born into, no matter your status, no matter your culture, no matter your skin color, the free gift of salvation, faith in Jesus, access to God's presence is now open for anyone and everyone who chooses to believe, who chooses to place their faith in the finished work of Jesus. Secondly, in these opening verses, Paul reminds the Ephesians that the good news is not only good news to groups of people. So it's not only good that certain groups of people are also now included, but it's good news to individuals and it comes with a purpose. Paul reminds them that before he knew Jesus, he was actually a killer and a murderer of Christians. I mean, that's about as far away from God as you can get, right? Actually killing Christians, killing the people that follow God. But then God is pleased to reveal himself to Paul. He saves him in a radical moment. But then what? He doesn't leave Paul. He doesn't, th he doesn't say, thanks, Paul. Off you go. Enjoy your life and your salvation. No, he saves Paul radically. And then he puts him on mission. He charges him with sharing the good news of the gospel with as many people as possible. And as we all know, that's what Paul did for the rest of his life. Now, I want to ask you the following. Have you had that moment in your own life? Not maybe the moment of moving from being a murderer to a Christian, but if it's that, that's wonderful as well. 
But have you had that moment where you've realized that this wonderful relationship that is open between you and God because of Jesus? Have you had the moment where you've realized it's not only so that you can just enjoy it and sit by yourself and relish in the fact that you now know God, but have you had that moment where you've realized that I know Jesus and I can actually play a part in the kingdom? I can actually take responsibility in also displaying God's glory, making known this mysterious plan of His salvation gift to everyone. I can play a part in making that known to the world. You see, we often think salvation is just about not going to hell. It's just about my get out of hell free card. But Paul reminds the Ephesians and he says, it's not that. Remember, you've been given this relationship and it's wonderful, but it also comes with purpose. And this leads us to the third revelation Paul writes about in these opening verses. He, write, he writes from verse 10, how all of this, this mysterious plan of God's salvation, this inclusion of anyone and everyone, the being put on mission for God, it's for the church. It's so that the church can display this amazing, wonderful truth. You see, the church is God's plan on earth. There is no other plan other than God making known His kingdom, His authority, His power, His presence on this earth through the church. Now, that's only the start. That's like the start of the sermon because we read that and then we understand why all of a sudden Paul interrupts himself in verse 14 to write down a prayer. You see, because it's because of all of those wonderful revelations. And then Paul writes, when he thinks about that, man, he just falls down in worship and he prays to his father. But what does he pray? Verse 16 says that Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus and he prays that they would be strengthened with inner strength. Now, some translations actually say that they would be strengthened in their inner being or their inner man. You see, the Bible often refers to our spirits, our innermost being that comes alive when I enter into relationship with God. But this inner being, the innermost intimate part of who I am as an individual or my inner man, as some translations say, that inner being needs strengthening. And that is such a profound thought because remember, Paul is writing to a group of people who already know Jesus. They are already saved. And then Paul writes to them. He prays for them and he says, continue to be strengthened in your faith. That's amazing. He says, don't stagnate. Continue to grow in your worship. Continue to grow in your wonder and affection to God. Continue to marvel at this mysterious plan, this salvation, this free gift that has been made available to you. And this prayer of spiritual strengthening is also still so applicable for you and me today. You see, it's not just about Jesus saving us out of hell. It's about growing in Him. It's about maturing in Christ. It's about making sure that this innermost part of me that comes alive when I know Christ, it's about that inner being also growing in faith, growing in maturity, growing in worship, growing in awe and wonder. And that's what Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus. He prays, continue to grow. 
Are you praying that prayer over yourself as well? See, I think we often forget this. And are you part of a spiritual family that can actually come alongside you, strengthen you, encourage you so that that inner man, that spirit part of you can actually grow into maturity? It's from uh, the final part of this prayer communicates something so profound. You see, Paul prays in verse 17 that as our inner being is strengthened, as we grow in Christ, as our minds and our hearts and our emotions continue to grow more mature in Jesus, it says Christ comes to make his home in our hearts. Isn't that just a wonderful thought to think about? Christ himself, the creator of the universe, the one under whom everything will be united as we are discovering in Ephesians. But that man, that Christ Jesus, he decides to make his home in your heart. There's no more distance. Paul reminds the believers again and again and again in this book, guys, there is no more distance between you and Jesus. And then from verse 18 onwards, Paul explains the outcome of Christ making his home in your heart. The outcome of having that inner man, that inner being, that spirit of yours strengthened again and again and again. Let's look at what the outcome is. Verse 18 says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, even though it's too great to fully understand, then you will be made complete with all the fullness and life and power that comes from God. You see the outcome of Christ making his home in your heart, the outcome of you constantly having that inner man strengthened, the outcome of you growing in your worship, growing in your awe, growing in your affection towards God is this, love. Now, just a quick disclaimer before we go on. This is not the mushy, airy-fairy kind of love that we see in rom-com movies these days. It's not that, okay? This is not the type of love that is only love whenever someone feels like it. No, this love that is written about in this passage is different. You see, Paul prays that this church would grow in their understanding of what? God's love first, why does that matter? You see, because when I grow in my understanding of God's love, the depth, the height, the length and the extreme measures that God's love went through in order for me to have access to his presence and his kingdom and purpose in him. When I grow in my understanding of that love, what will happen? Love itself will start flowing from my life. You see, my love for God will grow. My worship of God will grow. My adoration of Him will grow. My love for people will grow. My love for serving people will grow. My love to bless the city will grow. My love for generosity will grow. My love for justice and mercy will grow. A vertical love of God will always always lead to a horizontal expression of that same love from my own life. It's impossible. I'll say that again. It's impossible to love God and not love 
people. That's something we sometimes hear, you know, in church. I love God, but man, Christians. Or I love God, but ugh, the church. It's impossible to love God and not love people. It's impossible to love God and not love the church. These two are so intimately and perfectly connected that Paul writes, when you love God, when you grow in your understanding of your love for God, another type of love will also start flowing from your own life. Paul is busy praying that this church that he's writing to all the believers in the book of Ephesians, that they would be a people abiding in love, abiding in God's love. Firstly, having that inner man, you know, relish in the wonder and the awe of God's love for me, but then also abiding in love towards one another. How is it going with your abiding in God's love. Does your inner man need some reminding of God's love for you firstly? Or do you maybe need a reminder today that God's love is not only for you, but it's for every individual around you? Because that's what Paul prays here. He prays that this church would be a people abiding in love. And as he starts wrapping up this prayer, Paul ends it by reminding the church in Ephesus why they should abide in love. What's the big deal? Why abide in love? Why preach a whole sermon about abiding in love? What's the point of you and me abiding in love today? It says from verse 20, Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him, get this, in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. What's the point of abiding in love? It's God's glory. It is always God's glory. The point of strengthening my inner man, the point of me growing in my awe and wonder and my affection to God, the point of me growing in my love towards God and in my love for other people is always the glory of God. Paul reminds the church, he says, this God, the one I'm writing about, the one whose glory we are after, guess what? He can do so much more than what you and I can even dare, think, dream, or imagine. Are you actively trusting God to display His glory through your life? Are you abiding and arranging your life in such a way that God can make His glory this mystery plan of salvation and the unification of everything in creation under his son Jesus? Are you abiding and, and arranging your life in such a way that God can display his glory through you? I want to end off by making this very practical for you and me today. Right there where you are, won't you start praying for the strengthening of your inner man, your innermost being. Remind your spirit, remind your soul, remind your thoughts and your emotions of God's incredible love for you. 
You see, some of us need reminding. Some of us need reminding that I have not only been saved to now await Jesus to come and fetch me one day when the rapture happens or whatever you believe. No, God loves us enough to save us on this side of eternity and then also to bless us with this incredible inheritance, this incredible purpose, this incredible hope that I can actually make known His glory today on earth. Won't you pray that over your own life? Pray and remind your innermost being that this God we love and serve, He can do way more, infinitely more, radically more than what you and I can dare think or imagine. It's significant that Paul chooses to end off this chapter by making known two elements in the creation that make known his glory. Where can we find God's glory? He says glory to him in the church, the body of Christ, fellow believers, and in Christ Jesus, in Jesus, the son, the one who paved the way for you and me. God's glory is found in his son, and God's glory is found in the church. Are you found in the Son? Are you found in God's Son, Jesus, through salvation? And are you found in His body, the church? Because that's where God makes known His glory. That is what Paul prays for the believers in this chapter. Let's end off by praying together. Jesus, thank you that this amazing, mysterious, wonderful plan of salvation has now been made known. It's no longer a secret. It is open. It is accessible. It is attainable to everyone. Father, we thank you that you call us to intimate, close relationship with you, but that you also invite us to continue abiding you invite us to continue growing in our faith. You invite us to continue growing into the body of believers. You invite us to continue to grow in the church. And that is our prayer, Jesus, for everyone that will watch, everyone currently watching, that they would be known as a people who abide in love. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.